Happy, happy holidays, all. It's Leah Pika. Today's guest is an inspirational search marketing CEO and one of the most talented, passionate presenters I've ever seen. Stay tuned to find out who's telling it like it is on the Present Beyond Measure Show, episode 30. Welcome to the Present Beyond Measure Show, a podcast at the intersection of analytics, data visualization, and presentation awesomeness. You'll learn the best tips, tools, and techniques for creating analytics, visualizations, and presentations that inspire data-driven decisions and move you forward. If you're ready to get your insights understood and acted upon, you're in the right place. And now your host, Leah Pika. Hello, my lovely listeners. Welcome to the 30th episode of Present Beyond Measure. And this one is the perfect way to close out a stellar 2017. I've got some amazing projects baking in the oven for you for 2018, including some super fun podcast guests, a public workshop tour, blog posts, all kinds of stuff. So you'll just have to stay tuned through the new year to find out more. And if your company is trying to figure out how to spend that end of year training budget, a workshop for early next year would make a solid investment in how ideas and insights get presented for maximum impact in your organization. So to find out more about my training services, please hop on over to leahpeka.com slash workshops. All right. So today's episode is over a year in the making. I've been angling to catch this fish for quite some time, and I finally got him. And he's dropped some of the most valuable tips for leveling up your presentation skills that I have heard to date on this show. So let us not waste any more time. On with the show. Hello, hello. I am so excited to welcome today's guest. My guest today loves helping people and businesses grow. He's a former teacher with a knack for advising, and he's been helping Fortune 500 companies develop SEO strategies since 1999. And seeing the need for an agency that does good by its team, clients, and community, he started Sear Interactive in 2002 as a one-man operation out of his living room. And today, Sear is home to over 100 employees across Philadelphia whoop, whoop, and San Diego. And as director of digital strategy, he develops strategies and innovations to help clients build traffic and make money. His methods have shaped the search industry worldwide, and he speaks regularly at marketing conferences across the globe. And bar none, he is absolutely at the top of my list of professional speakers who lay down the law on stage and deliver massive value to audiences. He's really something to believe in. With that, I'd love to introduce you to Will Reynolds. Welcome. Thank you for having me. That was a Really nice intro. That's make my mom proud. Oh, you're welcome, Will's mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's my pleasure, really. So, Will, we first met last October after our talks at the Search Love Conference in London. And I have to say that I watch a lot of talks, but your session, hands down, was the runaway winner. I thought it was going to be about creating personas for search visitors, but instead it was like a mind-blowing thesis of the power of words in politics. And I mean, it was like a Reverend Michael Beckwith talk <laughs> for me. Uh, so inspiring. Um, so I just wanted to recognize that it was so fantastic to make your acquaintance last year. Yeah, it's funny. We had to fly all the way to London uh, to meet to meet each other when we live maybe 20 miles apart. <laughs> uh, and likewise, um, I think uh, I felt the same way. I like cornered you at the bar and talked your ear yeah. off about how great your presentation was as well. Uh, I, I, just being out there so much and seeing so many people speak 
it uh, it feels great when I see someone and I'm like, yo, like, where have you been the last couple <laughs> of years? So right back at you. Oh, thank you so much. That's that's sweet. So everyone loves to hear a really good origin story. Tell us a little bit how you fell into the world of digital and also the world of speaking. Uh, so digital was easy. Um, after I finished college, I, uh, you know, my degree was in education and uh, I did a bunch of student teaching and I just realized that education, I was a little bit ahead of my time. For instance, um, you know, I wanted to keep all my grades in Excel mm-hmm. and my cooperating <laughs> teachers like you need to have a grade book. And I was like, wait, wait a second, like Excel, no mistakes, like no calculation mistakes, no calculators. <laughs> like, and it's like, well, what happens if there's a fire? And I remember talking mm-hmm. to Ruth and being like, I can save the file on a USB drive. Like it's not like, but you know, I was like so ahead technologically that I realized that teaching at that time in 1998 wasn't going to be the right thing for me. So then I just uh, looked for companies that kind of were into technology Mm -hmm. and I just started knocking on their doors to see who would give me a chance. Got it. Oh, and then how did speaking come into your career? You know, what's interesting is, uh, I used to tell people that I don't do business development and they'd be like, yeah, you do. You speak at all these conferences. I'm like, that's not BD. That's just helping people with stuff. (laughs) And, uh, they're like, no, that's BD. Uh, and I was like, oh, okay, I guess so. But I say that, uh, anecdotally because I think my background as a teacher, I went into speaking to help people. Mm -hmm. And so often I think people go into speaking to sell shit. Yeah. And I think that the difference in those two things really creates a difference in how people feel about the way you present because they'll say things like, oh my God, like you're giving all this out and there's no like, and sign up for my newsletter now, you know? (laughs) Uh, Because really for me, speaking uh, started off as a way for me to share things that I believed and cared about with people who I thought I could help. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely love that. I think an audience can really identify what frame of mind you're coming onto that stage with? Is it, I'm here for me and to benefit my business and see how you can help me grow by my business, <laughs> or I'm here to actually help you. And if helping you helps me grow my business and reach more people and help them, that's great. Um, but I think that audiences truly feel, you know, I love how you've reframed business development to helping as many people as possible. I feel the same exact way. Um, so that's really amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, when you started presenting and sharing, did it have an impact on how your career progressed or how things kind of manifested into your path? You know, I think as you start presenting, uh, you know, word started getting out. Um, so that, that, that helped. I started getting more opportunities. Um, but I will say like the business from the business development side, like that did not come quickly. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it came over time. Somebody sees you, recommends you, refers you. Um, you know, for me, literally like speaking was always an opportunity for me just to help people. So that was my KPI is like (laughs) how many people like came up to me afterwards and were like, yo, like that was really great. Um, I just had something I presented in London at search love this year, uh, just a few weeks ago and somebody got stuck on something and emailed the conference organizers and said, Hey, can you pass this along to will? Mm-hmm. And then like, I jumped on the phone with her and like recorded a video to show her how to fix her problem. Like, mm-hmm. that's just kind of how I operate. Yeah. So I've always been the kind of guy to be like, yo, I got my laptop open in the back of the room. If anybody wants to come back, I can like help you with your stuff. <laughs> and 
and I just, and then the people would be like, oh, do you have a card? I'd be like, I don't have any business cards. Like I don't carry them. Right. And I think that just that people felt a genuineness around my desire to help them over my desire to like sell something mm -hmm. to them. And I think that that's just kind of been the platform for my career. Oh, that's, that's awesome. I love that. Now, um, this is something I love to ask speakers who are more on the professional circuit. Are you kind of a preparing guy or do you more go out and wing it? Because what I noticed when you were presenting is I've rarely seen someone appear to have the level of confidence and polish, but at the same time, it was, you were really speaking, you weren't reciting. And I, I'm just so fascinated to understand what goes on behind the scenes with people who seem so natural like that. Oh, Jesus. So you're going to love this. Uh, I got to catch a flight tonight at 10 o'clock to land in Dublin uh, <laughs> tomorrow. And it lands at like 830 and I'm presenting at like 1230 or some uh -huh. crazy shit like that. Right. And uh, my presentation right now is maybe 25% done. Oh, why uh, do you do these things? <laughs> Trust me, I'm asking myself the same question. <laughs> and because it's Halloween, like after, like at, at four o'clock, I'm shutting down to go out trick or treating with my boys. So I'm like, man, when is this presentation <laughs> going to get done? Uh, so I mostly, um, you know what it is, is that so I you're only not a present human being, on, basically. Yeah, right? <laughs> I only present on I'm truly passionate about. Uh -huh. So that's one thing, um, which helps it to come off really kind of natural because I'm literally like, no, this is something I'm really fired up about. Mm. Um, so there's a natural kind of flow yeah. when you're really like, yo, I'm fired up about this thing. But most mm. times I have a slide deck, obviously, and it's been rehearsed probably six or seven times before I present something, but then in, but I, but I know the material well enough that in the moment I'm able to kind of slow things down, speed things up, go off on slight tangents, <laughs> yeah. uh, and feel like I haven't lost myself in the process. It's one of the reasons why my slide decks are usually like, you know, 120, 150 slides <laughs> yep. because, um, I, if I did fewer slides, I could go off on a tangent and then not know how to bring mm. myself back. Whereas mm. I like to cut my ideas up in this very, very small moments so I never can get too far off from where I want it to be. That's really interesting. So there's two really interesting things I want to pick out there. So, you know, I've always, I, I came from this thing that you could not present without a deck. We're visual creatures and it's it's just what happens. But it's so true. The more passionate you are about a subject, the more you can really just get up there and speak. And I've had visions of getting up at a conference and just talking with no slides and relaying a story or something. Um, and yeah, when, when we are less passionate, we do have to sort of put more of a more content down <laughs> to live inside of it because we're not living inside of that topic as much. And I agree with you too. I use a tremendous number of slides, mostly from the perspective of keeping um, keeping a rapid pace and not letting things stagnate. But it is interesting that you do that to help keep yourself contained so that you stay on track throughout. Um, so those are, those are some interesting tips. Um, what would, what would you say are some of your pet peeves about presentations that you see in the industry, in companies? Ooh, <laughs> you know what I really don't like, and people really need to stop is I don't care who you are, where you work or who your clients are. Like you, like, I think too few people 
realize that like if I haven't heard you speak before and I don't have a set of expectations, Mm -hmm. then like you're competing with me checking my email right now. (laughs) And anytime you spend introing your credentials, at least to me, the kind of person that I am when I'm in the audience is I don't care about your credentials. Show me something new. Show me something that I haven't seen before. Um, Show me a new reality and then I'll listen. Who cares that you worked for Microsoft's, you know, product launch? Like that doesn't impress me. Um, Teach me something. So I think that I'm very hard on speakers who spend way too much time on their credentials. Yeah. uh, And not much, not as much time on getting me right to something that can say, oh, my God, I got to listen to this guy or this girl. Like, wow, I never thought of things that way. Oh, you're definitely preaching to the choir. Um, I think it goes back to that idea that these presentations are for us to go out and make them about me and what can you do for me when in reality, you're right. I don't think anyone would care to watch Breaking Bad or Game of Thrones if the first 20 minutes were the credentials of the screenwriters (laughs) and the (laughs) the director and the actors. Um, Because no one cares about that. They care about the story and, and yeah, make me listen, make me learn, make me grow. So there's a reason why the credits come up at the end of the freaking show, <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. Unless it's Steven Spielberg, then it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true, 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 true. Um, so, you know, you work with a lot of analysts and marketers that present to clients in your own company. What are the kinds of challenges that you're finding people have in getting insights, the, the, your brilliant insights actually acted upon in, in forming decisions? Uh, I think that people in, in, in our company have low empathy sometimes for what it's like to be the client, mm. you know, and I'm constantly working on how can I help my team to get more exposure to what it's like being the client because for us, it's like, oh my God, this is the thing I've been working on all week. Here you go. For the client, it's like, I got three hours a week to spend on this thing that's competing with all these other things. Yeah. Um, and I think that sometimes the numbers also feel really big. I think this is a problem that younger folks make is sometimes like if I say a million dollars to somebody that's under 25 <laughs> or, or under 30, it's like, like, oh my God, I could save this client a million bucks. And I'm always saying, well, but they're like, they're not paying attention to me. And I go, well, then ask them what they're paying attention to. Like if you mm. bring a client a data point that you're that passionate about and they're not acting on it, then the next the next meeting is, hey, I thought that was a huge win or a huge opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that we haven't moved on it. So what else has got your attention? What can I, how can I take my skills and apply them to the thing that's grabbing all of your attention right now, Hmm. instead of taking my skills and regurgitating more data at you or try to continue to justify why my points are valid with more data. Mm. That is so interesting. Now, would you recommend that they actually ask the client, like what kinds of things are, have your attention right now? What's on your plate? You know what? So I, I, you know, I'm at a different position in my career, I think in terms of my confidence with what I can say to a client, but I'm always... (laughs) But even when I was young, like, I'm like, I might say something once in a while you might not like, but I'm always fighting for you. So when I come at you and I'm saying, why aren't we doing this? We're not executing. And I want to help you execute and get things done. It's coming from a place of, I want to see you be successful. Right. Mm. Um, so I've always been kind of tough on clients 
Um, and then what I've learned is, is they'll go, hey, well, I know that that million dollar thing is huge. But to be honest with you, I'm working on a $10 million thing right now. And that's when I was like, okay, great. Then mm-hmm. tell me everything that's tough about this $10 million thing. Yeah. And I'm going to try to find a way to bend my skill sets to offer some value on the $10 million thing instead of using my skill set to 100% of its capability on the $1 million thing. Like if I got this little mm-hmm. small thing that you're worried about with your brand and I know some cool way to use Google Trends to help you identify something, then that's what I should do for you right now. Instead of trying to jam, you know, jam down your throat, this million dollar opportunity that I found that is just like so important to me. So I think Mm -hmm. that understanding those priorities, like whenever somebody's not doing the thing that's clear as day to you, it's because you either haven't communicated it clearly or they've got something else that's more important. And it's your job as an analyst to find out which of those two it is and to help Mm -hmm. your client with the thing that's stressing them right now, not the thing that's next on your Gantt chart. (laughs) I love that. Help them with the thing that is stressing them now. Not the Gantt chart. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I often will be like, oh, but it's, you know, it's, it's October 31st and today's the day we're supposed to know. F that. If yesterday your client found out that, you know, their stock price dropped 20% yeah. and that, you know, they're all going to be fired uh, mm-hmm. and replaced by the board in the next three months, if they don't turn things around, then like work on that problem. Yeah. Right. Right. And I, I think that, even when someone comes to you and says, I want campaign results, you know, and it's something delightfully vague like that, I kind of advise my students to probe a little further, you know, ask them what's keeping them up at, at night right now. You know, what are what is the next great move you want to make in the plan that could move something forward? What are you focusing on? So sometimes they're not the best at articulating that. And it's our job, I think, I believe it's our job to help them tease that out and Absolutely. add value like, that way. I spent a ton of time studying question asking because I'm a really good talker <laughs> and I've always wanted to get better at asking questions mm. um, because Crystal, who runs our company, she has always found a way to ask the kind of questions that stop me in my tracks. And I'm like, ooh, damn, I didn't think of things that way. And I was always <laughs> jealous of her because she knew how to ask the right question at the right time. So yeah. one of my favorite questions uh, to clients is like, okay, so let's assume that we implement the solution that you said you want. What data point would you be looking for three months from now that would mm-hmm. make you feel that you should double down on what we did and do more of it? And what data points would tell you that you should cut this project immediately and not fund it anymore? And I think sometimes giving clients those kinds of like extremes helps them to be like, okay, I would give you twice as much for this project to keep going if you got to this point in three months. And I would tell you that I'm going to cut this whole project if you get here. And like, that's like a very helpful frame Mm -hmm. to help a client really kind of give you. So now, you know, your extremes, if I get here, we're going to do more stuff. And if I go here, the project doesn't make sense for you anymore. Wow. So test the extreme limits of people's comfort zones, I guess, with performance rather than kind of just seeing how something's going to play out and then be like, oh, let's just, we'll we'll reduce it or we'll increase it by 10%. Um, I love how focused that is. That is tremendously valuable. Yeah. Like I I, I like questions like that. And another one, uh, another piece of that question is like, you know, if we implemented this thing today, mm-hmm. tomorrow, what would be the thing you would look for to see if we're starting to have an impact or next week, right? So whenever you've got like a six month goal you're working towards, it's better to break it down and be like, okay, 
week one after we launch, what's going to be the thing that's going to give you a scent that we're on the right track? And now what your client has just told you is exactly what you have to show them at week one or week two to give them confidence that it's worth waiting for the next month and then the Mm. next month and then the next month. So if you kind of flesh that out, it really helps them to articulate back to you kind of what they would want to see at a second week, a first month, a second month, and a third month to know that they're on the right track to where they're ultimately going to be a year from now. Wow. Okay. So even before the campaign starts, checking in to see what is going to be the yardstick for understanding if we're having impact and moving forward. And sometimes you can't have an impact in the first week. So it's still important to ask, what would give you a scent that we're on the right track? Right. Because now what you're saying is, you know, the numbers aren't going to show up for for two or three months, not even Mm. the early numbers. Right. But like, you're going to be paying me for three months. So what's going (laughs) to give you the feeling that that your money was well spent while you're waiting for the early signals for the numbers to come? Got it. Oh, this is such good stuff. I love it. Um, Okay. So kind of in this vein as well, you know, after we met, you were talking about, you know, how you love the idea of the importance of learning to present insights effectively. And you gave a certain um, anecdote about something that happened with Sear, where if an insight would have been sold better, because essentially we are selling our data, our insights and our our ideas, um, it could have had a different outcome. So you had a great example of this. Would you be willing to share? So we've had this happen with uh, a client, uh, but I'd say a, a few times where we looked at the wrong metric. Um, so a client will come to you and say, Hey, you know, it's really important for me to rank well for X, Y, and Z. And like, they don't really want to rank well. They want to drive revenue. Like that's what their bosses mm-hmm. evaluate them on. And what we were doing is we kept reporting on rankings and it's like, that's great. That's great. That's great. Good job. Good job. Good job. <laughs> but when our point of contact gets asked by their boss, Hey, well, how much money are we making because of this thing we're doing with, yeah, they built these links. That's cool. How much money are we making and is it worth it? We didn't arm our point of contact with that piece of information because our point of contact was okay getting rankings. And then it was very difficult for our point of contact to translate our work into revenue. So then the the, the CFO or the the CEO was like, we're getting rid of these guys because other people are talking to me about money. So I'm going to go give them more. These guys don't seem like they can pinpoint the Mm. true impact of what they've done. Mm -hmm. So therefore, we're going to take their budget away. And then once you actually looked at the revenue, we're like, oh my God, we're actually doing a really good job for you, but (laughs) too late. Yeah. So what do you think they could have done differently? My thing is focus on the damn money. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I mean, seriously, right? So like I always tell my team, like, go read a 10K. Yeah. Look at those quarterly reports. That's Wall Street. That's what drives whether or not our bosses or our point of contact's boss's boss's boss. If if she keeps her job, it's because those numbers look good. But what kind of numbers are they? It's interesting that most of them have dollar signs in front of them. So I always say (laughs) compare your – count the number of dollar signs in your report. Yeah. And compare it to other reports that client gets. The fewer dollar signs you have in your report, the more you're making your point of contact translate what you do into dollar signs when they get questioned. Hmm. Got it. Like I love comparing my SEO team's reports to my to my PPC team's reports. You're like, <laughs> you wonder why they get $30 for every $1 we get? Yeah. Because they have $55 signs in their in their report and you have one. Hmm. 
Where would you give your money to? Yeah, exactly. Because they're going to have a number of places they can put their money. So how do we make our particular choice irresistible? <laughs> if, I always say if you're, no not if you're not reporting about money, you are putting yourself at a disservice. And I think a lot mm -hmm. of people where it's hard to get to connect to money, yeah. they allow the difficulty to cause them to be like, well, that's how the industry does it. Or like, there's no real way around it. Or these numbers aren't exact. I'm like, you have any idea? A lot of people don't understand this about executives. Executives are more comfortable with directional data than you would mm. think. What they're not comfortable with is you telling them you're going to get them 500 links and they have no idea how to turn that into money. So it's <laughs> much better to say, hey, 500 links, typically this is how much traffic you get per link, how many conversions you get per piece of traffic. And, uh, the, 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 the degree of, uh, of certainty is 50%. Like it could, I could be off by 50%. You'd be amazed at how many executives I've sat in a room with and said, this number could be 50% smaller mm -hmm. or larger than what I'm showing you. And they're like, Oh, that's totally fine. And you're going, what? <laughs> right. Because like, I think search people and digital marketers, especially are so used to this feeling of exactness mm -hmm. that we don't have enough empathy to understand that our points of contact are making so many decisions based off of other mm -hmm. consultants having 50% spreads as well. But we go, it's got to be exact that then we do ourselves a disservice. So we're allowing precision to hamper our ability to just make a really well-educated guess using whatever information we have at our disposal, but at least putting something down that can be tracked against rather than saying, well, it's content. And I've, I've certainly done this. Yeah, it's content marketing. It's soft. These are soft conversions. We don't really know. <laughs> we just well, want awareness. <laughs> so, well, you know what? Like uh, the things that I like to do for clients is I'll take their uh, PPC search queries. Uh -huh. And uh, I'll also take their click assisted conversions. Because remember, mm -hmm. you know, Google doesn't want to tell you keywords in organic, right. but for paid, because so many conversions happen on brand, if they don't tell you the words that are assisting conversions, yeah. you would never invest in unbranded keywords. Right. So they're definitely going to give you the keywords that are assisting conversions. Mm -hmm. So what I like to do is find the words that are driving conversions out of search query reports or out of click assisted conversion reports and say, this and then I then I take those words, run them through a rank tracker, and I say to my client, look, these words are actually driving conversions or assisting conversions. Mm. So the reason why I want you to produce content like this is because I've got proof that this leads to conversions and money for you. <laughs> right. Oh. And then the person that comes in and pitches a content strategy on market share, oh, well, we need, you know, to blanket 40% of all people searching, then you're asking that executive to translate that into money, which they can't do. Mm, I see. Got it. Ah, I love it. Just really make it all about their bottom line as much as possible, whichever. And where it's difficult, yeah. figure out a freaking way because no one else is. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's where you can stand out, I guess. Because all the other search folks I see, sometimes when we talk to clients, because we're very revenue focused, even on our SEO, and you see clients being like breathing this sigh of relief of, I've been so, I've been so frustrated with having to beat up my SEO teams to be like, you got to give me something with a dollar sign, right? <laughs> right? And they're going, but how are we going to do that with not provided and we don't get the right. keywords and what about the conversion and how does it ultimately happen? And you can just watch the frustration well up yeah. inside of your point of contact. So when we come to them like, yo, we want to be held to some kind of revenue metric if we can, mm -hmm. um, it's, it starts off like, thank you because you're going to make my job easier. Yeah.
Yeah. And that's why we're hiring you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of SEOs forget, like they think they're getting hired for links and for, uh, for content production yeah. and they're getting hired for traffic and keywords. And it's like, no, you're getting hired for revenue. Right. Right. Oh, I, it's so true. It's so true. Um, so I think that's really valuable advice. Um, I actually want to ask you also in terms of growth as a speaker, you know, everyone who's speaking is on a path of growth. So I want to know, you know, even for someone as amazing as you are, what's the area that you're working on the most to grow? You know, what's interesting because uh, I'm, I'm struggling with this today as I work on my slide deck. <laughs> uh, I'm struggling with repetition uh-huh. because I think, you know, one of the things that I love is like putting together a new slide deck or having a conference coming up always forced me to kind of go back to the lab and find something new. Mm. But then uh, at one conference, I asked people uh, for something that I've been doing for five years. I've been presenting it for five years. And so I'm like, everybody knows this now. Mm -hmm. And I'm presenting at a search love conference. So it's a pretty advanced audience. Yeah. And I go, hey, how many of you, when you search on Google right now, get 10 results in your drop down instead of four? And maybe like five or 10 hands went up. And I'm like, I've been talking about how to change your settings on Google to do that (laughs) for five years. And I I think sometimes as a speaker, what I struggle with is like, I don't want to be repeating my old stuff because I feel like I'm shortchanging the few people in the audience who have already seen me speak. But then what you really, am I showing my second best thing that's brand new or my third best thing that's brand new and not showing my best thing that I've done a couple times, but mm-hmm. that maybe only 5% of this audience has ever seen before. And uh, I've struggled it. with that because I'm always trying to come up with new. So people don't think I'm lazy <laughs> right. um, and that I just present the same shit. But then all of a sudden I was like, wait, why am I going to present all this new stuff? If you're not doing the stuff that I presented three years ago. And like, I've always kind of struggled with mm. what's that right balance because I don't want people to feel like, Oh, he's presenting the same thing that I've seen on YouTube or whatnot. Yeah. I, I hear that a lot. You know, I'm, I'm continually, you know, working to keep some content fresh in the world of data visualization. It can be a little challenging because the newer tool sets are always trying to wow people with these fantastical, complicated new visualization types because people are tired of the simple bar chart and line charts that coincidentally also happen to be the best choice for if you're presenting ranking data, that's going to be the brain's most (laughs) advantageous choice. Um, but it's true, like that balance of where you think everyone knows this already, but I'm continually surprised by when I, especially when I deliver workshops and, and I see examples of work, I'm continually surprised that this stuff isn't as widespread as we think. Uh, it's not as widely known. So I think it comes down to, like you said, understanding your audience, you know, whether it's a client at a company or an industry conference you really interview who, who's ever facilitating that to happen to understand that audience and see like, are they going to know this kind of concept? Because I remember working extensively with uh, the Search Love team to make sure these were concepts people wouldn't be yawning over, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> um, so that's a really good point. Um, and then, you know, if if there are people in the analytics and marketing community that really want to get started on the path of speaking, um, is there one resource or one big step you would have them take first? 
I think it starts with finding something that you're fired up about. Like I hear too many people being like, I want to start speaking. I'm like, well, what are you about? What? And they're like, well, I just want to get used to being out there and kind of speaking. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that fucking sucks. <laughs> like, how are you going to get an audience interested in you just wanting to get out there and speak and get your name out there? That's about you. Right. Whereas if you have something that's really in your belly that you're like, man, I can't believe people aren't doing this. Like this is going to be the thing. Mm. Like I think I can really help people. Your whole demeanor is going to be different when you present. And if you're like, well, I really think it's important for me to get out there. Like that's not a good reason for you to be presenting. Uh, That Yeah, it goes right back to what we said before. I've definitely heard people give the same reasons for wanting to start a career, which is wanting to start a career. And not necessarily bringing their unique brilliance to the community. So um, I think that's a great frame of mind for approaching that. Okay, so I call the next segment the upgrade. It's a power tip for doing our jobs better, um, whether it's using our presentation tools or Excel or analytics platforms. So do you have a tip to share with us before we wrap up? Okay, so I have a, uh, a logistical tip because nothing is worse than being thrown off your game while you're presenting (laughs) because I have seen, I've had it happen to me. I've had, I've seen it happen to other speakers and I'm pretty cool, calm and collected. Mm -hmm. So I can usually bang through something that goes wrong, but I have seen speakers completely get destroyed by like one or two small glitches with their presentation deck. And then they're just like all screwed up after that. (laughs) So here's my tip. Set all of your video to autoplay. (laughs) Yeah. So that when you get to the slide, it automatically plays your freaking video because nothing's worse than relying on the guy or the girl in the back to be like, okay, now click. (laughs) Okay. I'm done with it. You can stop it now. Like you take the control out of your hands when you allow somebody in the back to control your slides. Mm -hmm. So never let the AV people be like, okay, you got video? Okay, well then just let us know and then we'll queue it up. No, 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 no. Autoplay all your videos Mm -hmm. so that way you're not standing up on stage feeling like a moron uh, while it's not loading or there's a problem or they're trying to open it up. And my other tip with that is never, ever, 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 um, take a video from the web and load it into your PowerPoint. Always use a tool like clipconverter.cc mm. and physically download the video and physically embed it into the PowerPoint. Yep. Anytime you go and put it somewhere else, you're asking for to, to mess it up and then it's going to throw you off your game and your whole presentation is going to go to shit. <laughs> Yeah, those are, I've definitely learned those the hard way as well, especially you never know when that internet connection is going to drop or YouTube decides to not play nice. Um, So that's great, Clip Converter. Um, Ooh, one more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. No Excel walkthroughs on stage. (laughs) Like, stop trying to open a tool and show everybody how smart you are on stage because it's going to throw off your flow. Like, it's inevitable. Mm. Like, very few people have pulled it off well. And then the thing is that when you're on stage and all these people are looking at you, every second of silence you feel like it's like 10 minutes. So while you're (laughs) flubbing around trying to look down at your laptop, you're getting more nervous because it feels like it's been 10 minutes, even though it's only been one second. And like, it makes you more nervous. And I have just seen people try to do like live demos of things. And very, very, very rarely does it actually go off without a hitch. Yeah. 
And even if it goes off without a hitch, it's really hard to maintain the momentum because you have their rapt attention and you're right. Any pause where your attention is taken away from them is a total disconnection. That's what I found when you've had to change gears. That's um, that's something I struggle with in particular with my workshops, but being that those are eight hours long, <laughs> it's inevitable <laughs> that I have to move between things. Um, but there's, I find that there's little things you can do, like take a sip of water and keep talking, keep engaging the audience while you're working to change gears, letting them know that you haven't completely forgotten that they're there. Um, but those are really fantastic tips. I love all of those. So I have one final question for you, and I actually know the answer to this because you just published an awesome video on YouTube about it, <laughs> but this is a ritual for my listeners. So please imagine this very plausible scenario. You're almost at the finish line of a Philly Tough Mudder when you suddenly trip and fall and get pulled through a rip in time, and you're brought back to the moment you're about to give your first presentation. What would today you say to then you? Oh, <laughs> uh, seriously? Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, this is going to be an interesting story though. Um, <laughs> uh, today me would say, you got this. Hmm. I love it. That's what I, that's what today me would say to that, that me. Mm hmm. That's it. Okay. Well, I would love to actually, because your video actually had some really good points about this too, which you kind of referenced before where you don't start talking about yourself and your company because no one cares. But yep. one of my favorite tip that you had in that also is create a talk where you are at the top of everyone's to-do list the next day. Uh, <laughs> I was yeah. like, I'm going to write that across my wall. Um, because it's so true. You want to, you want to be the first thing that, or your content, whatever it is you gave them, you want them that to be the first thing. So I found that really valuable as well. Yeah, no, I, I got a bunch of those. Like, you know, one of the things that I used to do, um, is I used to check out every speaker that uploaded their slides to SlideShare. Uh -huh. uh, oh. so then I could see how many more views I got than them. Uh, <laughs> okay. uh, or if they got a lot more views than me. Right. It was more like, a, oh, well, they must have said something that resonated because they got twice the amount of views that I had mm. and we had the same amount of time. So then it helped me to kind of be like, that's a speaker I'm going to watch because something that they did really engaged that audience really mm. well. Um, if you're in a single track conference, tracking the, uh, the use of the hashtag during each presenter, just the raw number of times the hashtag was used yeah. was a great way for you to get a feel. Um for uh, when the speaker started and stopped. So you could kind of feel like who got the most like movement on the back channel, mm -hmm. uh, which sometimes if you have a really engaging speaker, people won't be tweeting, right? Right. Uh, <laughs> so it's like that can work both ways, but most sure. times it works pretty well. Um, and the other thing I would do is I would time my presentation so I could see like when I started, when I ended, and then I would look at what tweets um, went out at what slide. So then I could get a feel for what was I talking about that got like my top 10 slides out of 150. I try to line them up with um, with certain narratives uh, where people are tweeting with, with the hashtag. So there's a lot of little hacks that I've done over the years to try to give myself some customized feedback on how I'm doing relative to other speakers. Oh, yeah. I mean, you've definitely taken it to a whole other level. It's like no metric left behind. <laughs> Well, I want I'll to be, be good. That. Yeah. I want to be good and I want to add value. 
And Absolutely. if, uh, if it, like nobody's going to tell you that you didn't do well, everybody's going to tell you that you killed it. <laughs> right. And the only way you're going to get real feedback is by finding some way to go deeper than the qualitative feedback that you're going to typically get. Right. Exactly. Get in the heads of the people who didn't fill out the survey. Yeah. And I think too many speakers get hung up on being the top rated. Um, yeah. you know, I was rated the highest speaker at MozCon, I think in like 2012. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. And then like two years later, I was rated like fourth. And I was like, that sucks. And, <laughs> and then I looked at the number and my, the number, um, the average, my average speaker score was higher when I was fourth than when yeah. I was first. And it was like, oh, shit, that's actually the thing I should look at is how am I doing against myself? Right. Because some years you might have different types of speakers, different type of people coming in. The question is, is, am I improving over myself over last time I spoke? And I thought that that was an interesting way of looking at speaker scores. Yeah. Instead of looking at who was first, second or third, it's more like, OK, on a scale of one to four, how did I do? And if I do that presentation again on another scale of one to four, how do I do? Right. I love that using yourself as your benchmark rather than others, because with the way that these surveys work, you can't, people aren't necessarily ranking you. They're just uh, giving, like they're giving your score in isolation essentially. And it doesn't really matter how you stack up with the others. Um, um, so that is a really interesting way of looking at it. I love that. Well, yep. Unfortunately, our time has run out, but I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on this show. You dropped some really, really incredibly valuable tips and information and mindset stuff for us today. So I just want to reiterate how much I've enjoyed meeting you and um, how much I've enjoyed having you on the show today. So where can the listeners keep up with you? I'm everywhere. Google <laughs> me. Uh, no, um, Twitter is probably the best, uh, especially if you have a question for me, because it forces me to be less than 280 characters. So I'm more <laughs> likely to get back to you fast mm -hmm. than if you email me or hit me up on like LinkedIn. Uh, so Twitter is usually the best. Okay, awesome. And, um, you know, we'll put your links uh, and social media stuff and the YouTube video that I mentioned on the show notes page for this episode, which will be leahpeka.com slash 030. So thank you again so much for being on the show today. It was really a privilege and I hope our paths cross again soon. They will. Oh man, isn't he something? Yeah, I can't recommend enough checking out his YouTube channel and his SlideShare feed for daily inspiration. And please make a point to catch him in a live session. He will not let you down. So if you like what you've heard, please hop on over to iTunes to subscribe, leave a rating and review. They are so appreciated because they actually affect the rankings of the show and they'll help other practitioners like yourself get this great content. And I'll be reading out my favorite ones on future episodes. To catch all of the links and resources mentioned in this episode, visit the show notes page at leahpeka.com slash 030. I would love if you could leave me a comment or a question for Will because I want to hear about the challenges you face when presenting information, anything you'd like me to talk about here. Or you can tweet me a question for the show by including my Twitter handle, which is at leahpeka, and including the hashtag PBM, as in present beyond measure. And today's inspiration is about more than just presentations or data visualizations. It's about how you're going to show up in your job and in your life in 2018. For me, 
I prefer not to wait once a year to make a resolution to bring my best self to all facets of my life. For me, that means approaching every day as a new beginning and as a beginner, learning new skills and unlearning old habits and ideas that don't serve me anymore. I believe that this is what's made my data presentation journey a successful one to date and what allows me to serve you every day. So today's quote doesn't let you wait until January 1st to start fresh. Meister Eckhart says, be willing to be a beginner every single morning. It's pretty wise, right? So that's it for today. And that's it for this year. Please have a warm, cozy, safe, and happy holiday. And thank you for the gift of your time and attention. Namaste. Boom. Done. <laughs> you know, you know <laughs> that, that robot. You're like, gar, 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 gar. yeah, exactly. I will present data. That was odd. Was not expecting that to be the test. Very interesting. Right, right, yeah. That's who I am. <laughs> to go, let's rock and roll. <laughs> okay. Been around this block before. Just a couple times. <laughs> 20 minutes. Just like, let's just redo the last 20 minutes.